Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church podcast. We love to hear about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how Velocity has made a difference in your life, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. Put your hands together uh, for my friend, Pastor Sebastian. All right, so good to be here with you guys. First time for me in Kansas. Really. I love being here, already feel at home. What a great church, what a great location. And uh, I love just connecting with your pastor, Justin and Marissa. What a great couple they are. What a great vision they have for this city and for this whole area. Let's just put our hands together for them. It's... uh, it's a privilege to be under great leadership like they are. Uh, don't ever take it for granted uh, that you have leaders like them who have a passion for you, um, who have a passion for their city, who have a passion for this part of the world. And uh, it's glad, I'm so glad to be connected with them, with ARC, with your church, uh, because God is really moving uh, across this globe. I mean, ARC planted about 800 churches since the beginning, uh, since 2001, and uh, more and more of those churches are getting planted outside of America. Uh, so we have ARC organizations right now in South Africa, in Australia, as well as in Canada, but now we're also getting started in Europe, and I get to be on the forefront of that, and you get to be on the forefront of that as well by being a part of ARC. So, um, so like we, um, I basically spearheaded the start of ARC in the Netherlands, and I formed the lead team with a couple of other great uh, church leaders, and we have a passion to see churches planted in our nation. Uh, recently, we started one in the Catholic part of our, our, our nation, and uh, the launch service, we had like 360 people that showed up for that. And uh, they're running about 100 people, a little over 100 people at this moment and got some great leadership in place. I know they're going to make a difference in their city. Um, and uh, also was like instrumental in helping ARC get started in, in Ireland. Um, some, great, some of my best friends, pastor friends are in the nation of Ireland. I'm helping a few guys in uh, Germany at this moment to kind of get grouped together and to kind of um, start this arc vision there as well to see churches planted in that uh, great nation. And then um, I'm also having some connect- I also have some connections with uh, pastors in Spain. Hopefully we get something started there as well. And all across the place, they're, they're, they're uh, church leaders kind of like hearing about ARC and wanting to make a difference, wanting to see Europe change for Jesus. Uh, you know, you may have heard stories about, about our part of the world, uh, that, that churches are empty, uh, that churches are closing down. It's true, but there's hope as well. And, and I know that ARC is going to, it's bringing hope already, and it's going to be bringing much more hope in our part of the world as well. And so I want to invite you to pray for our part of the world, for the Netherlands as well. And, uh, and we believe that God's going to bring revival to, uh, to our part of the world. So our church got started in 2006. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit more, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in my message. But um, uh, at the moment, we're running at about f- between five and 600 people in, in two locations. Most of them will be in the original location and um, uh, impacted a lot of people. A lot of the, the new visitors, new guests that come to our church are actually unchurched people, which is uh, the, the one thing that I'm, I'm most passionate about is reaching unchurched people with the message of Jesus. And uh, I love doing ministry uh, that way. It's been hard uh, along the way. Uh, like pastor, like church planting is like the extreme sports of pastoring. 
That's how, that's how you can see. So uh, I still feel like we're planting. We're 12 years old right now, but it, it still feels like we're planting from time to time. And we're going to keep the innovative, entrepreneurial mindset going in our church uh, because we, there's many more locations that we want to plant uh, in our area as well. So uh, pray for us. I want to invite you to do that. would love for you to do that. So anyway, we're in a series called Difference Makers here, and, um, and I want to talk to you about that a little bit. But before I get into that, I want to introduce my wife to you who couldn't be with me on this trip. There's a great picture of my, who is obviously my better half here. She's from Austria. Her name is Eva, and this picture was actually taken in Ireland. So just a nice detail there. And uh, I got two sons. I got twin boys right there. They're, they're super handsome, yeah, I know. And uh, they're uh, eight years old. They have a lot of energy, so I'm taking a little bit of a break from them at the moment. Uh, but last year, they actually came along on the America trip that I do in April because it kind of coincided with their May break, which is a big holiday we have for two weeks in our, in our part of the world, and they could get to, got to experience America for the first time. So I was sad I couldn't bring them this time, but uh, they, they loved America, I can tell you that, because of the uh, trampoline park in Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> some, you know, some good reasons, right? Um, so uh, somebody told me this morning at the hotel uh, that there's an Ikea in the area. Is that true? Yeah. yeah? How many of you love Ikea? All right, there's some people that love Ikea. That's, that's awesome. I actually don't like Ikea. I have Ikea-phobia. Ikea-phobia, you can define it as the fear of assembling Ikea furniture. That's what I have. My dad loves Ikea. He um, is actually, he has two right hands. I got two left hands. There's a big difference there. Uh, he uh, put together multiple IKEA kitchens and, and um, you know, like cabinets and, and beds and all sorts of things. And, and when I try to assemble those things, I got to call my dad. Dad, can you please help me? He's like 75 years old, I believe, at the moment. 76 years old, actually. And <laughs> I'm still calling him to help me <laughs> with IKEA stuff. Last time, I, um, like, actually, my wife, she loves IKEA, too, because she doesn't have to set up the things that I have to do. And uh, so, so every time she tells me, hey, I would love to go to Ikea today, I'm like, honey, there's a, there's a brand new restaurant that opened. Let's have lunch there. I try to steer her away from going to Ikea. And uh, when, when she doesn't buy that, uh, we actually go to Ikea. And what happens is, um, honey, you know, you, you could go up and take the escalator to the, to the top floor, right? That's where all the nice Furniture is, you have the nice living rooms presented there, the nice bedrooms and kitchens and everything else on the top floor. Uh, I try to trick my wife into going a level down to where the kitchen supplies are or the, or the, the, the textiles and, and, you know, that type of stuff. Stuff that you don't have to assemble. <laughs> but she doesn't buy it most of the time. So most of the time we, we get back with some kind of piece of furniture and I have to assemble it. Last time it happened, it was... Uh, you know, it, it took my Ikea phobia from here to over there. Uh, my wife and I, we had this brilliant idea of, uh, of having my twin boys move together into one smaller room so that they could take the other room and use it as their playroom. And uh, so we would buy a bunk bed and, and put it in that smaller room. And a uh, great idea, brilliant idea. And we found a nice one from Ikea, which was actually a metal one. And uh, we, we decided to pick it up from, from the store, bring it to, uh, to our house, and uh, you know, took it all apart, put it in the room. And of course, the room is so small that you can actually not put it 
put it out there the way you wanted to, to kind of see what you have there. And, but the problem with IKEA furniture is that the instructions are unclear for a guy like me. And uh, so I started to put it together, and uh, I think I'm doing the right thing, building it up. And I'm actually going somewhere with it. I'm like, wow, I can do this. And then as I'm assembling it, the whole thing comes crashing down on me. I was so happy it didn't hit my head because I wouldn't have been able to preach that Sunday. Uh, so it, it kind of fell apart outside, you know, kind of around me. I was okay, and I, liked, I, I was starting to set it up again. Um, and then the next time it fell, it came crashing down again. And I told my wife, hey, the nuts and bolts actually are, are bent right now, so you need to go back to Ikea and get some new, um, new uh, nuts and bolts and, and stuff so we can, I can actually set it up right. So my wife goes back to Ikea, which is about a 20-minute drive, and then gets back again. So about an hour later, she's, she's back, and I, I give it another shot. I'm like, I'm not going to let this mess with me. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to survive. I want to be the man in the house, right? So I set it up, and it actually works. But the problem was, when I'm done assembling it, I noticed that I have a few parts that are, you know, left over. <laughs> and my wife says, I don't trust this. This thing is going to cr come crashing down on my voice. I said, honey, don't worry. You know, I, I tried it. I actually was laying on the top level of this uh, this, this bed and it's safe, it's fine, it's not going to come crashing down on the boys. And actually, till, till today, it's still standing. It's about two months ago, I set the thing, put the thing uh, together, so we're good. <laughs> Unclear instructions. It, 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 wreck, it wrecks me every time when I go to Ikea. But, um, you know, sometimes it seems like God um, helps, God gives us unclear instructions as well for our lives. It feels like, you know, he, he doesn't tell us the full story. He only gives us parts of the, the story that he wants us to get involved with. I don't know if you've encountered that in your life as well, but it feels like he only tells me one step, but I feel like I, I deserve to know the full picture. I deserve to know every step that he wants to take me on uh, to the place of destination. But most of the time, God just doesn't do it. I mean, you've experienced that in your life. Just a few small steps that he explains. And the story that we're going to look at today of, of the difference maker by the name of Abram, before he was called Abraham. And it's in, you can find it in chapter 12 in Genesis. So if you have a Bible, go to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. And uh, God gives some very unclear instructions to, um, to the hero of our story, Abraham. It says this, The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Go to the land that I will show, show you. Well, if you, if you kind of know the Bible story a little bit here, Abraham doesn't really know this God. In fact, he probably had never heard about him before. This is like a totally strange deity who starts speaking to him. He has no idea whether he can trust this deity or not. In fact, Abram lived in a time when, where there, uh, polytheism was a norm. So there were multiple gods that people served. They have multiple household gods in their, in their homes. And so, so why would this one God speak to him and why would he trust him? Could he really trust his God when he started speaking to him? And uh, so um, anyway, he, he decides to take him serious. And, and then God promises that Abraham will be blessed so he could be a blessing once he actually decided to Obey God. And it says this in verse 2. I will make you into a great nation. 
I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. God blesses us so we can be a blessing. That blessing. That's my first life lesson. So if you, you're taking notes, write this down. God blesses you so you can be a blessing. Very important for us to, to realize that that's the case. You know what? Uh, I don't know what it's like here at Velocity Church, but at Thousand Hills, you don't have to feel guilty if you're blessed. You don't have to feel guilty if, 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 if you have a nice home, a nice car, if you have money in the bank, all that sort of stuff. As long as those possessions don't have you. That's very important for us to realize because God blesses you for a purpose, not to kind of spend it on yourself. You know, God bless, doesn't bless us to, to raise our standard of living. He blesses us to raise our standard of giving. You know, God doesn't bless America so that, you know, you can kind of spend it on yourself. God blesses America so it could be a blessing to the nations of the world. That's what, what I love about the heart of your pastor for this church and for the world. There's a difference you guys can make. There's a reason why God has, has blessed you. And Abraham realizes this when God starts speaking to him. He, God blessed him so that he could be a blessing to the nations of the world. And then verse 4, the story continues. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he left Haran. So in spite of the unclear instructions that God gave to him, Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed. God, uh, Abraham was obedient to God because he left Haran. And what's so amazing to me about this story is that Abraham was 75 year, years old when, he, when God started speaking to him and when he obeyed the Lord. I don't know how many of you are over 75 years old, 75 years old or older here in this church. There's, there's one person there that raises his hand who doesn't look like a 75-year-old at all. Don't mess with me here, okay? Don't make me upset, okay? Is there anyone who's over 75? Because you're my hero. Well, I, you know, the same at my church, you know, when, when I ask who's over 75, it's like one or two hands that go up. It's like, there's not a whole lot of them out there. We need older people in our churches because the church is a church of multiple generations, and even though we have a vision for young people, because it's so important to have a vision for young people, you know, we all together, we're, we can make a difference for, for our city, for our nation. But it's so interesting that, that Abraham, being 75 years old, he didn't see his age. He didn't use it as an excuse to not do what God was asking him to do. And this is very important for us to realize, because oftentimes... You know, we, we think about our own lives and we think we're, we're either too young or too old to do what God is asking us to do. We feel like we're either too married or too single to do what God has called us to do. There's always an excuse to not do what God is asking us to do. And the same was true for, for this man, for, for Abram. He could have said something like that and said, no, God, sorry, I'm 75 years old. I just want to spend my old, my old days in, in peace here in Haran. This is a good place to be at. Don't mess with me, God. You know, when God tells us to leave, when God tells us to do something, when God tells us to go, we got to go. So verse 5 says this, he, he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot. And by the way, Lot was kind of like an adopted son to Abraham because Lot's dad um, died and that was Abraham's brother. So he took him into his home and all his wealth, his livestock and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and headed for the land of Canaan. 
When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the Oak of Moreh. At that time, the area was inhabited by the Canaanites. The question you need to ask yourself is, why did Abraham head towards Canaan? Why did he go that direction? Because if you look at the story, nowhere does God tell him that he needs to go that direction. He only says that he has to leave Haran and go. God didn't say anything else. Did God give him like a check in his spirit that, hey, you got to go. You know, it kind of comes from within, right? When, when, when you feel God calling you to do something. Oh, yeah, Abraham, you got to go to Haran. No, he... It doesn't say anything about that. Maybe there was another reason why Abram decided to go direction Canaan. And when you actually flip back to the previous chapter, to chapter 11, you kind of see what happened in the life of Abram's father, Terah. It says this in verse 31, Genesis 11, verse 31. One day Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, and his grandson Lot, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans, he was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Interesting story here. And these names that you hear here, you, you may think they're like some, some made-up locations. No, these are actual locations in the Middle East. And if you will take a map, and I'm sorry I don't have a, didn't bring a map with me uh, from the Netherlands, so sorry. Uh, but if, you, if this will be the Middle East, right? You got Canaan, which is basically Israel. It's right here at the Mediterranean coast. And then Haran is up there, a little to the east. And then Ur of the Chaldeans is right there. So, um, so Terah was, went from Ur all the way to Haran, but he was on his way to Canaan, but he stopped there, up there in, in, uh, in Haran. Very important for us to, to realize that. So Abram's father was heading to Canaan with his family before he stopped along the way in Haran. And it says that he settled there. Terah stayed in Haran the rest of his life, never reaching his final destination. Now, Haran must have been a pretty good place to live. Why? Because it was like an intersection of trade routes. It was, there was a lot of wealth there. There were probably nice homes there. There were a lot of stores there if they would have had stores back in those days. It was a place of, of, of trade and culture. It's a good place to live. And Haran must have arrived there and thought, well, what a great place to live. Let me just stay here for a little bit. And then, you know, I'll figure out whenever I'm going to leave. But he never left. He just stayed there because it was such a great place to live. He, stepped, he stopped halfway on, on the road to the final destination. But I think this is a great picture of where we are, where many of us are in our lives today. We, we, we stop halfway the course that God has charted out for us and stay there because we got too comfortable. The house is nice. The job is nice. The car is nice. You know, everything is good in our lives. So we kind of pause there and stop there along the way. But there's a greater place that God wants to, wants to bring you to. There's a, there's a land of promise that God has for you. But we stop along the way because it's too comfortable where we are today. I believe that God is calling us to keep pressing on, to step into that place of purpose, that place of of, of destiny that God has for us. You know, I don't know, but this church seems to be like a great church with great kids ministry, great worship. Everything is just great about this church, but I know your pastor has a big vision. 
there's a great, great hope to, to see more people reached in this, in this area and an even broader area. And it's so easy to say, well, you know, my family is doing well and I can bring my friends to church here. Let's just kind of pause here. Let's settle here. But I believe that God has next steps for you as, as Velocity Church. I believe God is calling you to, to reach more people, to disciple more people, to see more lives transformed by the power of the gospel. And you can't stop halfway on, on your way to the promised land. You can't stop halfway on the way to Canaan, to Israel. Don't stop in Haran and stay there for the rest of your life. There's more for you. Now, what a, what a sad story this is if you realize that Terah could have reached his place of destiny during his lifetime. What a sad story if you realize that his son Abraham could have reached the promised land like maybe in his 40s instead of at his 75th year old, uh, at, his, at his 75 years of age. He could have been there way earlier in his life, but he didn't because Terah decided to stop halfway. And it says in, in Genesis 11, verse 32, Terah lived for two and a five years. How many of you know that that's old? And died while he was still there in Herod. Now, many people who are called by God to greater things, they die halfway and never see the promises of the Lord fulfilled in their lives. And it's like they die spiritually. Your dreams and your visions and your hopes and aspirations, they'll die. It's like we're like the living dead. You know, the day you stop dreaming, it's the day you start dying. So we got to keep moving. We got to keep trusting. We got to keep believing. But, but Terah, he stopped dreaming and he died halfway along the way to the land of promise. You know what? God commands us to, to keep moving, to move further in our walk with him. Not only because our current place is to because our current place is not as good as the new place he wants to bring you to. He also wants to take you further because your current place, you got too comfortable there. And once we get too comfortable in our lives, you know what happens is we, instead of trusting God, we start to trust our finances, we start to trust our, 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 our employer, we start to trust too many things, too many factors in our lives instead of the Lord himself. And once we stop trusting him, it's like, the spiritual life that you have, the spiritual vibrancy that you used to have when you still trusted God, it kind of evaporates. It kind of fades away. The day you stop dreaming is the day you start dying. We need to walk in faith. We need to keep walking by faith, not by sight. So my life lesson number two for you is this. Never settle for comfort. Keep moving in faith. Never settle for comfort. Keep moving in faith. So we walk by faith, not by sight. And sight tells us that the place that we currently live is a place that's comfortable and good. But, you know, faith tells us that the place that God wants to bring us to is even better. It's even brighter. It's even, uh, it's even more amazing than where we currently are. Because there is hope. There is more for you to experience in your relationship with God. And if you move, you live. If you settle, you will die. Realize that. You know what? How many of you have ponds here? In your, in your backyard. None of you have ponds here, really. How many of you have ponds here? Are, are you awake? I'm, there must be some person with a pond here. Or, or this is like, like a culture inappropriate. There's one person who confesses. There's one more, all right. Amazing. Thank you so much for helping me. Even if you don't have a pond, I really appreciate you raising your hand. But uh, if you have a pond and you don't have fresh water streaming into the pond, what's going to happen with the water? It's going to smell. It's going to stink. 
And it's kind of like with us too. If we don't have a fresh flow of the Holy Spirit, the water of the Holy Spirit flowing into our lives, it's like we become smelly. We need to have that fresh revelation. We need to have that fresh touch of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We, we need to keep walking by faith. We need to keep moving in our relationship with God for us to be fresh all the time, every day of our lives. So Abram, he had no clear directions from God what the destination would be, just that he had to leave and go to the land that God would show him. The command for him was to leave and go. And Abram did. And he, and he headed towards Canaan for lack of better options. And probably when he took that first step to go in obedience, God revealed the next step to him. Because I believe that God is a God who progressively reveals his path to us. He progressively reveals to us what the next step will be in our relationship with him. And Abram, he had to take every step by faith. And only when he got there did he find out that it really was the place where God wanted him to be. Interesting. Don't cut yourself short of an amazing future. When God speaks, just obey. Even when the directions that he gives to you, the instructions that he gives to you are unclear. Not only did Abraham obey God, he, he took his host, whole household along with him. His, his, his direct family, but also his household servants. He took them all along. And this is a pretty cool thing as well, because Abraham, he, um, you know, he decided to kind of put his trust in this one true God, right? You know, he moved from polytheism, from trusting many gods to this one God. But not only did he have to convince himself to do this, he also had to convince his whole family to do this. And they moved with him. And I believe that this is a word for some of you here today. You know, you got to step out in faith and start trusting God and start believing in him because I know that your, uh, your lost family members who are still far away from God at this moment will come along with you once you take that step. You should never let your family hold you back from following Jesus completely. Keep, going, keep moving in faith. And that's what Abraham did. He took his whole household along. Spouse, spouses, let your life be an example to your partners. Parents, let your life be an example to your kids. And every one of us, let, let our lives be examples for our friends. You go, and those who are supposed to go with you on your journey of faith will go with you. I know that, that for sure. So this God who Abram didn't really know tells him to go and pack his bags and, and leave to a far country. I don't know about you, but this looked a little bit different than what it looks like today. Because in those days, you didn't have internet, right? You didn't have Google Street View. You know, I love Google Street View. My wife and I, we're, we're sometimes we're kind of like going online and checking out if there's a house that's a little bit bigger that we can invite some of our team and stuff to come and you know, have dinners and stuff like that. So we, we, we're on the website looking for other houses and then the next thing I do is, I when I see a house that I like, I type it in in Google Street View to kind of see what the neighborhood looks like. Saves me a lot of time driving there. And then when I like it on Google Street View, I'm going to check it out with my own eyes. But there was no Google Street View. In fact, there were no, no tra travel reviews. Nothing like that. I couldn't see if the hotels were good or anything like that. There, were, there was nothing like that at all. In fact... Abraham didn't have the coordinates. Abraham didn't have any addresses that he could type into Google Street View because he didn't know where he was going. He just had to trust God. He just had to trust him and move in that direction. But, you know, his faith and his obedience were rewarded by the Lord when he did it. 
It says this in Genesis 12, verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I will give this land to your descendants. Abraham went to the place that the Lord would show him, and because he obeyed, God now said that he would give the land to him. You know what? Abraham would have never owned the land if he would not have obeyed the Lord. He would have never owned the land if he would not have obeyed the Lord. The fact that Israel is Israel today is because Abraham, Abraham decided to obey the Lord without any clear instructions. And I think the same is true for you and me today. You will never own your land of promise if you won't obey God's call to go. You will never do it. So go, move, obey the Lord. So the Lord appeared to Abraham and, you know, God reveals himself more fully to Abraham at this second encounter that he did at the first encounter. And at the first encounter, Abraham just heard the voice of the Lord. At the second encounter, it says that the Lord revealed himself to him. I believe that God doesn't only give us progressive instructions. He also progressively reveals more of himself to us when we obey him, when we take steps in obedience to him. You know what happens when, he, when, when the Lord reveals himself to Abraham in, in the land of promise in Canaan? It says this in the second part of verse 7. And Abraham built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. Abraham responds in worship to the God who appeared to him. And I think many of us here today, many of us in our Western culture, we've kind of lost the art of building altars, of, of hitting the pause button of our lives and stopping to think about the amazing things that God has done in our lives. We need to do it. We need to kind of pause sometimes and think about the amazing things that God has done for us. It's so important for us to realize it, to learn that, to thank God, to worship him for all that he's done so far. And then Abram starts to scout out the land from the northern part of Canaan to the southern part of the, of, of the country, ready to take possession of the promise and let the dream become reality. You know what? The more we are committed to follow the Lord, the more he will reveal of himself to you. The more you are committed to follow the Lord, the more clarity he will give you. Often one step at a time, but he will reveal more of his plan to you. The more you are committed to follow the Lord, the more he's able to bless you so that you could be a blessing to others. And the more you are committed to follow the Lord, the more likely others are willing to follow along with you, your lost family members and friends. You know, walking in God's plan for your life, it is a simple thing, to be honest, because it's just taking one step at a time, not bothering too much about wanting to know the whole picture. Just whenever God say go, you go. Whenever God say do this, you say yes, I'll do it, Lord. Take one step. And before you know it, you'll, you'll be in the land of promise that God has for you. And then when you look back over your shoulder, you're like, man, did God take me this far? I didn't even realize that, 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 that as I took a step, I kept cl getting closer and closer to my promised land. And this is where he took me from. It's amazing. And, and that, that alone is a good reason to worship him and build an altar to him. Because God has taken us from a very far place into the land of promise. It's amazing to know that. Abram's st story is a story of someone who had just heard the voice of the Lord beckoning him to follow and obey. And as Abraham goes, he grows. And every time when we go, we grow as well. 
So to us, Abram's decision to leave and go seems like a relatively simple step to take, especially in the American culture. I noticed that, you know, I hear a lot of Americans that, that just move from state to state thousands of kilometers because there's a better job opportunity there or because of family living over there. They just keep moving. In, in the Netherlands, it's not like that. You know, people maybe move a little bit, but would you move across a country border? Very few people would. You know, when you, when you look at many communities, older communities in, in Europe, people are stuck there for their whole life. Not saying it's a bad thing, but in America, we kind of take it, take it light that Abraham decided to obey the Lord and, and take such a drastic step in following him and moving like hundreds or even thousands of kilometers to, to the land of promise, to Canaan. But it was a big thing for him because he put everything on the line. He put his family on the line. He put, you know, his possessions on the line, everything, just because he heard the Lord say something to him and he didn't even notice Lord. He didn't even notice God, but he decided to trust him. And I believe the same is true for Jesus. I mean, Jesus, when he, he told his disciples to leave their job situations behind, to leave their families behind and to follow me. That's what he said to them. And I believe he says the same thing to you and me today. He, he tells us to, to, to leave our stuff behind and follow him with all of our lives, with our whole life. And you know what? The, the good thing for us is that we actually know that we, we, we follow a, a God who revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. There's so much we know about, about God by just reading the Bible. But Abraham didn't have any of that. It's like a vague thing for him, a God that he'd never spoken to before who tells him to go. So we have the privilege of knowing this God that Abraham served because of his son Jesus who came to this world. And Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 37. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. If you give up your own life, that's when you're going to find true life. This is not consumer Christianity. This is really crucifying, you know, your old life, following Jesus with everything. This is radical faith that, that Jesus is calling us to embark on. This is a big step of faith, kind of like the step that Abraham took as well. And Paul discovered this as well. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul was, you know, he was probably one of the, he was kind of like an IS terrorist in his day. He, he wanted to root out the Christian church. He thought it was like a cult and they were, they were sharing something that was like, it had to be eradicated off the face of the earth. He, he killed many Christians. You know, but on his way to Damascus to do the same thing, God appeared to him, Jesus appeared to him and called him into his service. And, and then when, when, when the apostle Paul reflects on this later on in the book of Philippians, chapter three, verse eight, he says this, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, cutting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. And that's life lesson number three for you. Knowing Jesus is worth more than everything else in life. Are we willing to put our whole life on the line just to follow Jesus, just to make him number one in our lives? 
And as I wrap up, may I challenge you all to make a conscious decision to follow Jesus. More than just showing up to church on a Sunday, but really giving Jesus your all. Really saying, like, God, I'm with you. Wherever you lead me, I want to follow. Wherever you tell me to go, I'll go. Which also means, like, being a full part of this church. Not just being a spectator, but really becoming a part of this church and being part of the dream team and making a difference for Jesus in your community. You know, Christianity is not something that you can kind of live out by yourself, but you, you do it together as a church, as one body. You know, we're united in Jesus to make a difference in the world around us.